Hm? Ah! Dead Heads, welcome to the podcast. I am Jason. And I'm Baba Duke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lucy. I'm Lucy. I'm, I'm not the Babadook. Repressed <laughs> grief and depression. I am I am trauma. <laughs> <laughs> and the burgeoning darkness within. Um, and this is the Walking Dead cast episode 396. And on July 17th. 2010 karen and i published the first episode of this podcast the walking dead cast so that means that uh upcoming is our 400th episode celebrating our 10th anniversary that's incredible yeah that's gonna be cool so you're gonna be on there and karen will be on there and i'll be on there and everybody who hears my voice, you guys, as always, are an essential part of the podcast. So I would love it if you felt so inspired that you would send us a voice message and say whatever you want to say about, you know, what the podcast has meant to you over the years or just, you know, happy 10th year or whatever you want to say to help us celebrate. And you can also call into our phone number and then we'll play it back on the 400th episode. We'll play all those back. So if you send voice message to brains at podcastica.com or call us at 650-485-3323, we'll get those. That's so exciting. I can't, I mean, how many podcasts have lasted this long? There must be a few, but so many seem to like peter out before we get to this point. It's awesome. I think most podcasts I've heard don't make it past episode seven. <laughs> wow. But, but that just tells you how many podcasts have gotten started because there's mm-hmm. so many that have made it past past episode seven. Yeah. Um, also, as usual, I want to mention that this episode is made possible by Patreon supporters like Charlotte Scoble, who've pledged their support at patreon.com slash Jason and Karen. So thanks to Charlotte. Yay, Charlotte. And this month's Jason and Karen show, which we're recording later this week, is going to be on The Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss, which I've heard is good and I've been meaning to watch. So I was glad that Karen wanted to watch that. And she asked me if we could bring Lucy on. And I was like, <gasps> all right. She's in, she's invisible. We can't <laughs> see her. Yeah, great. Cool. <laughs> no. So that'll be fun. It'll be three of us. Uh, yeah. I good. wanted... I asked her if she would cover The Baba Duke because she's always told me that's a great movie. And then I'm like, well, let's cover it. And she goes, no, I don't want to. And I, she just doesn't want to watch it again, even though. And I'm like, well, do you, did you not like it? And she goes, no, I really liked it. 
I don't know if it's just too intense or she just doesn't feel like watching it. But then I was like, oh, let's just cover it on Walking Dead cast. So that's what we're going to be yeah, doing. Yeah, why not? It's one of those ones I've heard about forever. So it was good to have an yeah. excuse to. Yeah. Me too. I mean, it came out in 2014 and <laughs> it's. You, you could just feel by, you know, by like osmosis, you see headlines and things that, oh, this one might turn out to be a classic because it keeps getting mentioned. Mm hmm. So. It's so. definitely, yeah, it's got a reputation. Yeah. So that segs right into the next segment. So let's get into it. Attention shoppers. Deadcast top five in five, four, three, two. So if you didn't know, The Babadook is a 2014 Australian psychological horror film written and directed by Jennifer Kent in her directorial debut. And um, I didn't even realize it was Australian, but I just found out now, mm. which I thought was super cool. Yeah, it was. It was the Australian accents took me off. But yeah, it's yeah. it's not a country that I, I mean, I actually, that's why I was going to say it's not a country I know much about. Um, when I was younger, my absolute favorite film was Strictly Ballroom and one of Baz Luhrmann's really early films. So I always have a soft spot for Australian cinema when it comes up. So I enjoyed that. <laughs> it has a real, a uniqueness to it. You know, it's, um, mm. there's something really particular about Australian and I, Australians listening to this are probably going to kill me for even thinking this, but I even think it's somewhat similar to uh, New Zealand films. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely a different kind of... I remember watching an interview with Stephen Fry talking about being on a set with like, it was him, an American director and an Australian director, and he said it was really funny because when things would happen that would make him laugh, he would look at the American guy and he wouldn't get it, but the Australian guy would be laughing along as well. So yeah. I think there's sort of like a dryness to it, like yeah. a dry kind of Britishy thing. That, But I think New Zealand's got this really particular like wry sense of humour yes. that like a lot of it's Taika Waititi and um, Jermaine Clement. Yeah, But Australia is kind of Love harder it. to pin down. Yeah. <laughs> and I should say the New Zealanders probably didn't like me saying that either. I don't want to leave you guys out. So let's get into our... Well, we're going to do our top five highlights of the Duke, but first, would you recommend it? And I guess for people who don't want to be spoiled but just want to get our recommendation, what would you say to them? I would, I would recommend it. I, I didn't find it scary, but I enjoyed it. Um, but I think with horror films, they're almost always marmite. You either find them scary or you don't find them scary at all. Like I don't often find that there's a middle ground. So for me, mm -hmm. this didn't, this didn't push my buttons of what I find scary. But I enjoyed it as a film and would recommend it to people to watch. Yeah, that's interesting. Like Blair Witch is always one that either scares the crap out of people or they're like, yeah. what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I actually did find it pretty creepy. I mean, mm -hmm. I wasn't terrified and it definitely didn't make me, you know, not like scared when I was about ready to go to bed, which a lot of horror movies do. I start thinking mm. about it. But that was more because the ending, I think, kind of softened the whole thing for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, I thought it was great. I thought it was really fresh and original, and I thought that it worked on different levels, which I love when a horror movie mm -hmm. does that, when it has something to say. And yes. I thought it was a really well-crafted movie. It had a strong style to it, and I really like mm -hmm. movies that have 
style and also substance to back it up. It's just, yes. yeah, just a great, I mean, I guess you could argue maybe that it's, um, you and I talk about how things are really on the nose or they kind of hit you mm-hmm. over the head with it. But I think this movie, it really worked because it felt like a, a fairy tale or a children's book, which are mm-hmm. pretty bold and, and so it kind of fit in that style. And I think as well, it deals with like extreme trauma and extreme situations. So it works in that sense that it is an extreme situation that everyone is in. So to have it dealt with in these like big abstract ways is really, really satisfying, I think. Because I I think the same, like as a film, as a whole, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really good piece of art that people should definitely check out if they can if they can face it. And I'm sorry if someone listens to this recommendation and then goes off and gets traumatized by me saying yeah. it wasn't very scary. <laughs> I really yeah, no, some people but, are, are pretty scared by it. You're right. It's polarizing in, in that regard. I mean, even though I wasn't super duper scared, I still loved it. But yeah, you'll hear in our listener comments that some people just yeah. weren't scared at all and other people thought it was really fucking scary. I would describe it as unsettling. Like you, it, yeah. the whole thing is it's very like atmospheric and unsettling. But for me, it wasn't necessarily scary. But I can see how it would it would be for if you have other things that you find more intensely scary. You know, yeah. if it means like you know someone I don't know something that like being in caves. We know this from the Walking Dead cast. If it had been someone stuck in a cave, I would have been freaking out for an hour and a half. But you know, <laughs> it didn't just didn't push those buttons for me. Also, it's about, you know, I, um, before we get into the super spoilery stuff, because uh, I, I always imagine some listeners will listen to see if we recommended it. And if we do, they'll go off and watch it. I don't know if that actually mm-hmm. happens. But anyway, um, it's about a woman who lost her husband and she's mm-hmm. grieving over it. And, you know, she's raising a child as a single mother and it really is heavy. And so if that's kind of a situation is just not something you want to deal with and maybe you don't want to watch it. But I think by the end it was kind of cathartic. So actually, you know, I felt kind of bummed out and depressed watching this movie until the end. And then because of what happened at the end, it kind of retroactively mm-hmm. lifted that for me. It's an amazing cathartic's exactly the right word. The ending is really affirming. It's it's a real sense of like how we deal with things and how you can it, the the director, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but the director has some interesting things to say about the ending and that I think are important um in terms of how it how it comes to a conclusion. Um yeah. and it does I think redeem some of the darker more triggering moments of the rest of the film. Um is that that the way yeah. that it ends? Right. So yeah, so it might be something that's triggering while you're watching it, but then you might feel better at the end, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. let's get into the top five. What do you got for number five? Okay, so for my number five, I would like to talk about the aesthetic and kind of atmosphere of the film, because that was what I enjoyed the most, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the film, I was thinking to myself, with horror films more than other films, I tend to compare and contrast Um I think because it deals with what do we find scary, what works for us and what doesn't. And it really felt to me like the beginning of Midsommar at the start, which is this kind of creepy, crawling skin sense that something is not quite right, which in Midsommar escalates really rapidly and really horrifically. But in this film, they kind of pull that out longer. So I was reading an article about it that describes it as kind of like a gothic thing, like gothic in the classic sense of like Edgar Allan Poe and The yeah. Fall of the House of Usher, which was a, a novel and also a film. 
Um, and I think that works really well with it um, in terms of like the old house, the kind of gothic tropes that we see in the film. Um, the way that it looked visually, the very strong kind of colourless black and white drab grey contrast was really, really interesting to me. Um, you see it a lot when she goes to her horrible sister's kid's birthday party <laughs> and the other mums are all kind of a bit more colourful than she is. She seems yeah. to be almost from a different... It's almost like the the Babadook family, Amelia and her child, are two-dimensional and the rest of the world is three-dimensional and they're just not quite merging. And I found that super-duper cool. Yeah, and and her house is painted in blue and mm-hmm. dark blue, which I thought really added something to the aesthetic. And also, I think it's just a metaphor for depression. She's blue. Exactly. Like, everyone says they don't want to go to that house. Like, her sister's like, your house is really depressing. And it is. It's a horrible... Like, the thing is, it's it's so to do with, like, how they light it and how they frame things, but it yeah. is a horrible... Like, the house puts your teeth on edge right from the start. Um, I loved the illustrations of the book itself. I thought that whole style yes. was really, really interesting. And it does toe that line between, like, quirky Tim Burton kids' book before becoming, like, really horrifying and, <laughs> and, te- and scary. It, it reminded me of... Uh, have you ever seen anything from Edward Gorey? yes i had christmas cards from him one year yeah <laughs> he, he wrote children's books i think they came out in like the 50s and they're kind of edwardian mm-hmm. and they're they're dark and they're really weird and there's one called the doubtful guest that i actually bought and read to my friend's third grade class and i think i creeped half of them out <laughs> yes i'm looking at the cover of that now it's yeah. like a kind of pelican penguin thing yeah it's creepy it just comes into these people's house and just kind of hangs out and they don't really know what what it is uh it's not like horrifying but it is weird and it, it's also got a kind of an adams family feel to it mm-hmm. and it also the style of the book i loved it it was kind of uh bold and dark and monochrome and kind of messy and it reminded me a little bit of uh where the wild things are too just kind of scary i'm looking i just google image searched edward gory and oh my goodness it's it this has got to have been an influence on the film yeah, at least a little bit it's so, so yeah in a really good way like it's the kind of stark it's almost like yeah. dolly some of it like this kind of surreal kind of comforting but not com- like uncanny sort of thing yeah it's beautiful but can be creepy and scary too <laughs> there's a book i love um it's a book of poems by tim burton called the melancholy death of oyster boy and it has illustrations that are very similar to Edward Gorey, but they've got the kind of Tim Burton big eyes mm-hmm. and sort of stripy clothes and things like that. And they both, it's like they in the Babadook, they take that, but they push it into the uncanny valley of being really scary. And I really enjoyed that. And I loved when she's watching the TV. It's I was trying to, I read the name of one of the films that the um, Amelia's watching and I couldn't find it when I went back to do my notes. But I love that they managed to like slip some images of the Babadook in there and it kind of yeah. fits with this sort of well, she's, it, creepy you can't tell if she's films that she's watching. Or what? But yes, she's oh, she's out yeah. of it, isn't she? Yeah. Um, I kind of hadn't thought about it that much until today. I liked the kind of surrealism of the boy being obsessed with magic and doing these kind of creepy magic shows like the magic dvd that he sits down to watch with the very kind of intense man doing these magic trips and sort of staring at him and the way that that sort of feeds into how the babadook looks is just so cool um so for me yeah i think those were kind of the main things and at the end of course you see in the birthday party kind of color is starting to come back into their lives and it starts to look a bit more normal 
and a bit warmer and that is kind of a sign that things have changed um, and to me that was a really strong but that's the thing I'll probably take away from the film the most is the aesthetic of it and mm-hmm. how kind of powerful that was and it I think the aesthetic of the book bled into the show in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. it had a children's story vibe to it the way she was even sort of using the language of children's stories when she was chasing after him run run as fast mm-hmm. as you can and call her called him a little pig and yes and and even just like feeding him ice cream with marshmallows all over it felt kind mm-hmm. of children's booky and it, mm-hmm. i was thinking also of shell silverstein's where the sidewalk ends which has some dark oh. poems in it and it's really good too because kids have a dark side. Kids oh, yeah. like like I remember when I was little, I loved books by Roald Dahl, um, who yeah. always had a sense of grimness. the darkness of of reality and grimness, <laughs> and I loved that. And he, when you read his adult fiction, it's like seriously dark. And yeah, things like Where the Sidewalk Ends and um, Edward Gorey, I think, toe that line uh-huh. as well, which is really really interesting. Even Harry Potter does to an extent. How unfairly. Yeah. They get treated. It's just criminal <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. And then I just liked the. We'll talk more about the Babadook himself, but just as far as the aesthetic mm-hmm. goes, I liked that the aesthetic of the Babadook as this sort of horror villain that came right out of a children's book was a great counterpoint to the groundedness of the subject matter, which is grief mm-hmm. and depression and loss. You know, it, yes. just the juxtaposition of those worked really well in this movie, I thought. It really, really did. Um, and yeah, it, to me, that was a really, really strong point. And I love that we don't, you know, we don't actually see the Babadook that clearly. And no. I thought that was actually quite a strong point of the film yeah. was that it didn't go down the... I always talk about Jeepers Creepers as the example of the worst kind of reveal. Because I thought Jeepers Creepers was genuinely a really scary horror film. And then they revealed a monster and you're like, sorry, what? <laughs> So with the Babadook, I think they did it. It was it's just a kind of trashy like horror film in the uh, early noughties. I remember watching it with high school friends, and it really builds up the tension like so well. Like it's super creepy, but then they make the mistake of showing the monster who just looks like something like they've just thrown loads of like Freddy Krueger, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all in a like dishwasher and decide to just (laughs) stick it on a man. And it just looks so bad. So I I appreciated that they were minimalist in what they did yeah. with the Babadook himself. I mean, that's one thing that I found creepy about him is that he spoke to her mostly through the book and then mm-hmm. there were there was that strong knocking at the door which and then you open it and no one's there. That always creeps me out. And then she so creepy. his suit in different places and uh so just sort of creeping into the edges of her reality for the most part but then when it did come in and it skittered over the across the ceiling like an alien mm-hmm. and then, rah, right in her face so then you see it and it's Baba Duke. so um i thought they did a pretty oh. good, good good job with it i like that it, it less is more sometimes and yeah exactly okay my number 5 is just the metaphor of the Babadook. And this is uh, one of those points that I have often where I couldn't figure out how to condense it down. So it's a bit <laughs> long, mm. but it's it's okay. It's about burying grief and, and the impact on your life and and everything. And mm. so we know she, she the main character, um, is her name Amelie? I think that's right. Uh, Amelia. Amelia. 
she lost her husband who was a total hottie so you can see why she'd be upset oh stone cold hot stuff he turned up and i was like oh wow uh, poor, okay. okay now i get it yeah um, and it was the night her son was born while she was driving to the hospital to give birth and oh. God. It's just yeah. horrible. And and so the Babadook, I think, is a metaphor for what can happen when you suppress your grief over something and mm-hmm. it can come out in unhealthy ways and turn into a b- depression and it can eventually overwhelm you. And um, mm-hmm. like the book says, the Babadook will become stronger if you deny its existence. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the the moral of this story the signs that she's repressing it is that whole scene you mentioned where she's with her sister's friends and they're trying to be helpful but they're just being assholes basically (laughs) and they really are and she reacts badly and her sister says as soon as someone mentions oscar you can't cope now it's hard to tell whether she's just her sister doesn't seem very open to hearing about it really so I don't know. Can I just say her sister is just a massive bitch. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, really don't like her sister. I, I, I agree kind of, but I can understand too. Seven years of that. You might. Yeah. That's the thing. When you hear seven years, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. That's like you need enough. to get it would some be help, annoying. honey. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, come on therapy. Yeah. Like, yeah. But uh, anyway, whatever happened, she clearly hasn't been able to move through it. And um, isn't addressing it in a healthy way. And even like the basement is a metaphor for where she's burying all this stuff. Because all his stuff is there, right? Yeah. And even early on, before you even hear anything about the Babadook or see the book, she sees her poor, poor dog scratching at the basement door and she pulls him away and locks mm-hmm. it. Like, don't even think about that. It's We don't want to yes. deal with this kind of a feeling mm-hmm. and so i think it's about how if you don't process these things uh and confront them that they can run your life you know sort of subconsciously. i think it completely like i couldn't have said it better like i think it's 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 i think what really got me about it is just like the extent of the trauma that she's going through is like these two events are always going to be linked like her yeah. her the death of her partner in this really violent, awful, unexpected way, and the trauma as well of giving birth after both like birth as like an act which is like really can be traumatic for your body mm-hmm. and Intense. trauma within the context of loss like that's just how do you even get your head around that and it's it is this idea like I think it's really important at the end that they celebrate his birthday on his yes. actual birthday because it's this idea that this kid has never had his actual birthday because it's it's the anniversary it's of something so horrible yeah. and i don't yeah i mean my first thought was she blames him for this but i don't think it's as simple mm-hmm. as that but definitely they're connected in her in her mind and and in her mm-hmm. sort of bones yes i think you're totally right i don't think she yeah it's, it's not like because you hear like in some in fact game of thrones great example um a father who survives a mother being angry at the child that was born because you're like, you killed my wife, you killed your mother by giving her a traumatic birth. Whereas this is like, the two things are unconnected. The only connection is that they were driving to the hospital. But it's Um, similar, I would say. It's similar, yeah, it's similar, but it's... (sighs) 
yeah, it's harder to kind of point at him and say this was entirely mm. your fault. And the kid is so aware logical, of it as well, which is yeah. horrible. Yeah. No, the, the not kid logical is aware of it, but I don't know how how consciously. I mean, he keeps mentioning that oh, my father died when my mom was taking me to the hospital and so you mm-hmm. get the or you know going to the hospital to give birth to me you get the sense that he has absorbed that connection because his mom i mean this is all about how as a parent your emotional state your vibe your energy is absorbed by your child and whether they understand it or uh, are consciously aware of it, it it impacts them. Even to the point where mm-hmm. he knows that there's something dark inside her and it's it's trouble. But I don't think he might mm-hmm. even know it's, he might not even know it's in her, but he knows there's something bad around and he's going to have to deal with it. And yes. He creates all those weapons and it's no accident that he ends up using those weapons on her. I don't think he ever knew consciously <laughs> that that's what he was going to be doing. But on some level, he knew that the, that there is something not right here and it's a danger to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's so aware of it. And it's so interesting how, I hope this doesn't impinge on a later point, but it's so interesting how our perspective of the kid changes throughout the film. Like at the start, I was like, do not like, he is possessed, demon child. But then halfway through, you realize he's actually quite sweet. He's actually looking out for his mum. And you start to think, is the mum unreliable narrator here? Because it's such a change. like oh bad signs for her and he was perfect because uh, the 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 actor because there was kind of a so good wired vibe about him and you know Mm -hmm. maybe a little harder to feel warmly towards him just because of his demeanor and Mm -hmm. you think of like the omen or rosemary's baby or something like yes it's gonna be or the shining that was the other one i thought well i shot i thought of the shining but that was when she started going crazy because I thought, well, I that guess you're true. right, the red rum and all that. But um, then he's doing magic, which a lot of people just find annoying. <laughs> and he's slamming yeah. firecrackers down and saying things like, you know, I'll kill the monster when it comes. I'll smash its head in. And yeah. then, you know, mom says, I'm not afraid of the Duke," And he goes, you will be when it creeps into your room at night. And it's like, oh, you're a little devil <laughs> child. But um, I think a lot of his uh, problems are manifesting because I really feel like how you parent is is important. And she's detached from her son because of the the circumstances under which he was born. She won't look at Mm -hmm. him when he's doing his magic. He's like, look at me, mom. Like he's desperately trying to get her attention. When he tries to hug her for a long time, she pushes him away. Don't do that. And oh, that yes. And then when he says he's laying there in bed, and he tenderly says, "I love you, mommy," and she says, "Me too," and it's like, oh, that's so oh. sad. Won't celebrate his birthday on, on the day. And then when she start when the movie starts becoming more horrific, and she gets more overwhelmed. Why do you have to talk, mm-hmm. talk, talk all the time? Don't you ever stop talking? And he's like. Mm-hmm. I just was hungry, and if you're that hungry, why don't you eat shit? And I'm like, oh, that was so horrible. Like, that broke my heart. Anymore. That's where it shifted over, mm-hmm. where I fully was on his side. And I mean, I, through I got to admit, through the whole movie, <laughs> even though I, you could see that he was a troubled kid and maybe not as likable as you might like your kid to be. I was, I was all in for him. I, I just felt like he's a little kid. You know, he, yes, he may turn out mm-hmm. to be a murderer, and then I'll change my mind. But for now. Yeah. <laughs> Like she's his protector, and so mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I, I felt judgmental towards her and that's the way I tend to lean when there are problems between parents and, and children, but I shouldn't because a, she ultimately did what she needed to do that was best for herself and mm-hmm. her child. So she was completely redeemed in the end, but also, um, it's tough, man. Her husband died. She's a single mm. mom. She's overwhelmed. You know, she's struggling to make ends meet and all that kind of a thing. And I mean, I just mm-hmm. think if you're in that situation, um, my, I was a child of a single mom, so that's probably why I have some strong feelings about all this stuff. But if you need help, hopefully you can go get some help from somebody, whether it's a relative or go get some kind of professional help or call a hotline or something, mm-hmm. you know? And you get the sense that she just has a whole life that she hasn't lived. Like, she could have been a writer. Yeah. She could have, you know, she was horribly in love with her husband, you know, like, and it's just, it is, it's such... She's missing out. It's just a horrible... Yeah, and it is just so tragic because it's not the kid's fault. She knows ultimately that it's not his fault, but she's so frustrated and angry because it's happened. And yeah. It's just a real bummer of a situation. When the guy at work offers to cover her for the day because she he thinks her kid is sick and he can tell she's upset, mm-hmm. she goes and has ice cream and she uh, wistfully stares at a couple in the garage making out and mm-hmm. then she's late to pick up <laughs> Samuel. Yeah. So she's just trying to reclaim yep. some time for herself. So then her redemption comes um when um she's just gone full blown off the deep end. I mean the poor doggy sensed there was something back oh. in her and she she God. kills it. Bugsy man. Yeah, poor Bugsy. Bugsy. And oh, Bugsy. Mrs. Rose comes over, and I think she's going to kill Mrs. Rose, too. But Mrs. Rose is, like, totally kind and compassionate and says, I just want you to know mm-hmm. I'd do anything for you. And Sam, I love you both. Then we don't see from her, but we see her saying to Sam, I'm sorry. And I'm like, are you faking? And it turns out, well, she, I don't know if she's faking, but she's like, I, I'm sick and I need help, which is great for her to admit it. But then she says, I want you to meet your dad. It's beautiful. And she's, like, slowly putting her hands around his throat. And he stabs her and becomes kevin McAllister and trips her down to the basement and all that and, yeah. <laughs> and then this is the last part i promise but he like that moment down in the basement that's where she needs to confront the stuff that she's buried and he seals mm-hmm. off the exits basically ropes her in down there i'm not leaving you he says forcing her to confront this monster inside and she says i he goes i know you don't love me the Baba Duke wouldn't let you but i love you mom and i always will you let it in and you have to <laughs> let it out and 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 she's screaming and then she grabs at his throat and she's about to kill him but then he strokes her face which is like a sign of unconditional love and so that's when she vomits mm-hmm. it out and purges it and then you think maybe it's over but he says you can't get rid of the baba duke and that's because no you can't get rid of this kind of grief you just have to manage it which is exactly what she ends up doing she accepts it which is like i think if you are if you can do the best you can at accepting and dealing with all parts of yourself, then that's when you'll be able to accept other people. And that's what he, she does. She's then accepting her son's quirkiness. He says these weird things around people, but it doesn't phase her. And she's much more affectionate Mm -hmm. with him. And he's, you know, he can be more well-adjusted and it was just such a lovely way to watch her process this and see the, um, positive benefits in her life which you'd never expect from a horror movie so Mm -hmm. that's why i loved it (laughs) it's yeah and it's it's actually this is great because my number four was actually amelia and her character so i can i can barrel in thank you you yes um yeah yeah. (laughs) like she um 
I think I've I read it more as a straightforward like possession of her, but you can read it that I'm way too. More yeah. About, yeah, it's it's hard because I think yeah you're right. There's a lot of pressure on on single mothers, and I, it's funny because I think the director says in a couple of interviews like because interestingly enough, it's a female director, so she sort of says I really didn't want female um female mothers. I really <laughs> didn't want single mothers to come out of this looking like vilified or, right. or like they are like Amelia's not the world's best mum, but she's doing what she can, um, and she's dealing with this really like horrible situation. I mean, I thought the whole movie you could read it as that she this was all in her head and she was just going insane and this was a manifestation of her grief and everything but in her head until she purges it and then mm-hmm. it drags the kid up the stairs and starts throwing him around the ceiling and everything and that was the first time mm-hmm. that something happened where it wasn't so easy to say oh maybe this is all in her head i think that turned it more into like an allegory i guess where it's obviously a supernatural demon that's doing stuff to her so i still think it's a metaphor for all the things i just described but i also think that it's mm-hmm. a it's a horror movie so it was a demon you know we had um today we were talking about the film because i made peter watch it with me obviously and I, he was he said almost exactly the same thing he's like whole thing is an allegory you know nothing really happens because there are no casualties and i was just like tell that to bugsy yeah he was like, right well he was the, but like, baba duke didn't kill bugsy well but he didn't her bugsy man <laughs> i was so I, the minute i saw that cute dog at the start i think i texted you like i have worries about this yeah dog. i know and it's, i was like it's oh, not gonna make it i didn't want to say anything bugsy's not gonna make it <laughs> <laughs> but um i think with amelia like her the idea of her being like an unreliable narrator is really interesting to me and there's this i read a couple of theories online i, w- I went on a deep babadook dive today and um, i read i had a look at the script actually which was quite interesting um one of the theories I read was this idea that Amelia's actually writing the book because she mentions that she used to do she used to be a writer, she dabbled in writing mm-hmm. kids' literature. Oh, wow. And there's this point where she turns up at the police station and they look at her hands and they're like almost like they're covered in charcoal, like like she's been drawing, like she's been actually sketching those pictures of the Babadook. I thought that was the police officer's hands and she was seeing the Babadook. I got that too. This is the thing. And then I read the script because I was like, I need to clarify this because I because she's seeing like the two guys behind him look creepy and there's the sense that the Babadook is like coming. Yeah. And then in the script, it says that Amelia's hands are actually covered in uh, petrol from putting the Interesting. thing on the barbecue, which is like the most Australian. Oh. All Australians have barbecues, according to the Babadook. Um, Shrimp on so the barbie. So it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Jason went there. I did not. Sorry. <laughs> there goes our whole Australian audience, all three of them. Um, sorry, sorry Rebecca. Our, no, not at all. So, oh yeah, Rebecca. Oh man. Um, she can phone us with corrections. <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, so I thought that was an interesting theory that Amelia is actually writing the book. I thought like, oh, that could work, but I think I don't think that was the intention of the the script. Um, I thought Essie Davis, who plays Amelia, was amazing. I thought she really yes. was just so good because she basically it carries this film. Like the actor Noah Wiseman, who plays Sam, was amazing, but yeah. he's I would say you know it's Amelia who we're really following yes. throughout it. Um, Very good. 
she just had she had such a hard story to play and she played it incredibly well and like the pain of her grief and just that scene where she's like trying to use her vibrator and you just get the <laughs> sense that like this is her like private time and then Sam busts in and you're just Damn like oh you. Amelia and she, Damn you she's I didn't remember this but she played Lady Crane in Game of Thrones when Arya was in Bravos and was tasked by the <gasps> faceless men with killing this actress and it turned out to be her and she was just the most loveliest person ever. Oh my goodness, did she Yes, she had dark she has naturally or she has had dark hair in the past and I always I'm like so bad for if an actress is seen as having like blonde hair, I yeah. do not recognize them when they have uh <laughs> dark hair but now that you've said that i totally recognize her as being lady crane um she's great mm-hmm. she's just an incredible actress i really really liked her and i think she and the director jennifer uh, jennifer kent have a really good relationship and i often think in kind of small claustrophobic productions like this um that really pays off because the director knows how to get the best performance out of their actors um, so I just I found her really compelling and I think although she does at some points very terrible things, I think that she plays her in such a way that we do still have empathy for her and that's really yeah. important. Until she the said film eat becoming... shit, but Yeah, then then it turns. <laughs> then it turns but then it comes back <laughs> later. So very mm-hmm. good job. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my number four. Yeah, awesome. My number four is story time. So gather around kids. I'm gonna read from a little mm. book called Mr. Baba Duke. <laughs> By the way, the mom reads her kids some freaky books. Uh, mm. I mean, Big Bad Wolf and stuff. And he mm-hmm. he asked for them, but I think you know you got you can't always be their mm-hmm. friends. <laughs> <laughs> she should have said no. Yeah, yeah. Yep, <laughs> but yep. anyways, here it is. Uh, <clears throat> if it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. If you really are a clever one and you know what it is to see, then you can make friends with a special one, a friend of you and me. All nice so far. His name is Mr. Babadook, and this is his book. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. Ba-ba-ba-duk-duk-duk. That's when you'll know that he's around. You'll see him if you look. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night and you won't sleep a wink. I'll soon take off my funny disguise, take heed of what you read, and once you see what's underneath, you're going to wish you were dead. Mm. (laughs) For those who think that's just for kids, this thing is not for me. I urge you not to say these words. Please take this seriously. There's just no way you're off the hook if you're all grown up when you read this book and stub your nose with a civilized look. You'll appeal even more to the big Babadook. And this is what he'll say. I'll wager with you. I'll make you a bet. The more you deny me, the stronger I get. You'll then be my puppet, my plaything, my pet. I'll make you do things you'll be sure to regret. You cannot get rid of me. Dare to look me in the face. Try to put me in my place. I will cause you so much strife, but you might just get out with your life. Whether adult or child, best to give me a home. Put the welcome man out with a room of my own. And accept that I'm here, and from you I have grown. Keep me smaller in size, I might leave you alone. I only said might. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. And please don't be tempted to tear up this book. 
<laughs> so when you read it after <laughs> you've seen the movie, you realize he's actually trying to help you here, you know, like saying you can't mm-hmm. get rid of me. And the more you do- deny me, the stronger I get is a recipe to handle it. Just don't deny him, mm-hmm. you know. But when you're reading it in the middle of a horror movie, it sounds scary. <laughs> exactly. It's that it's that change of perspective, yeah. isn't it, about grief? It's like mm-hmm. going from feeling it's insurmountable and you will never feel better and it's always going to be this way to being like, okay. Sometimes it's going to eat worms, but other times it's going to be fine. It's going to be all right. Yeah. I can get by, you know? Right. And it was kind of funny when she went down in the cellar at the end and it, her fir- it was first like, oh, oh, my God. But then she's like, calm down. Shh. And then mm-hmm. it goes off. And then when the kid asks, how was it? She goes, oh, it was pretty quiet today. <laughs> that, was, that was an easier time comparatively, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's all. Oh, it's it's so creepy. <laughs> I love it. Um. For me, uh, I think I one of my points was kind of skin crawling moments because although there weren't, there weren't what I would call for me big scares like things that really really freak me out, and um, there were a lot of things that put me on edge, and some of them were kind of the littler things. So the cockroaches, disgusting. Mm-hmm. The glass in the soup, just oh my god, that is like so horrible. Yeah, who do you um, think? How do you think uh, that got there? <laughs> I don't know. I would say if it's um, not supernatural, then it's just her negligence somehow. Mm -hmm. But then she finds a hammer under the bed with the the picture frame. But I don't think it's... Maybe it was Bugsy. (laughs) That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to justify his death by saying it was the dog. But yeah, that is a question. How does it get there? Um, Because that's the point, I think, where you're still thinking, is this child an absolute demon? He, so it's she like looks at the, him like, did you? Mm-hmm. Like Sa- Sam. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a big one. I liked, there's kind of an obsession with um, mouths in this. Like the Babadook has this big toothy mouth and you see both Sam and Amelia kind of grinding their teeth, playing with their jaws. Amelia is bothered throughout with this tooth um, that she can't afford to get fixed, but is is bothering her you know it's it's clearly in pain and then when she's kind of possessed or when she's starting to take control she pulls the tooth out oh, which is i was wondering why horrifying like, that was creepy and very unsettling but it seemed like it was for no other reason than that but now you see I, this kind of comes from reading the script and also from her kind of rubbing at her jaw every mm. now and then like this kind of idea I think that's it, actually. The glass in the soup, the teeth, the cockroaches, just this kind of unsettling bodily things that make your hair stand on end. That really worked for me. Well, what about when she was like, she killed the dog, which was fucking horrible. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. she goes up to his room. Come out, come come here. And then she's like, he locks the door. So she's like. Samuel, open the door. The dog is sick. You don't want him to be sick or whatever. Oh, that was horrible. That was so horrible. And then she grabs onto the sides and climbs up there. And she's like (laughs) in this position that is sort of inhuman, just slamming her legs Mm -hmm. against the door. Whenever bodies in horror movies, like uh, Tony Collette in Hereditary, skittering across the wall, you know, they look inhuman. That's just super creepy Mm -hmm. to me. It wasn't quite that It's so creepy. Kind of like that. It was. It's the thing that always gets me in the remakes of it is when you see it in the background, like 
scuttling around (laughs) or moving in a really inhumane way oh i can't deal with it i'm like no thank you please so that yeah that kind of movement and that sort of and also oh my god the poor boy pees himself and she's so mean about it and that really made me uncomfortable as well it was just so sad for him in that point yeah so for me the yeah number three would definitely be the kind of unsettling things about it which are you know substantial give me a second i need to get a drink i but no wrong pipe hold on baba talk 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 so my number three was about this scary stuff too and Mm. i think the the Babadook is a great character, iconic looking, and and also that he takes on different forms. He's not exactly one thing, and he's mm-hmm. rarely seen, as we mentioned. And the whole Baba Babadook is pretty oh, pretty good. So scary. <laughs> I have to say, it shouldn't have, but the phone call did make me laugh. I yeah, I guess I could see that. It rang, and it was like, <laughs> "Hello, it's Babadook." Like, <laughs> you phoned. Um, yeah, I think the. The, the cool thing about the imagery of the Babadook as well is this idea that he's ink, so he takes whatever shape. So, like, mm-hmm. when she's throwing up this kind of black stuff, it's like yeah. she's literally throwing up his form, and that's really cool. And I think I like it because it plays out so simply. It's not, like, a complex way of thinking about it. Like, the ink draws the image that scares you, and, yeah, that's what scares you in this moment is the Babadook. Mm-hmm. So, to me, it's nicely simple in that sense. And then... A mother going crazy and turning against her child is pretty horrific and killing mm-hmm. the dog and pulling out her tooth and all that. Um, and then the screams that she would give out were just inhuman. Ah! And he pees. Oh, and then she floats towards him while she's saying, you little pig. Oh, it's awful. And she, as well, the images of her child being dead. Like, that's horrible. Mm. Those images of him, like, with his throat cut or... It's just, yeah, that's really harrowing and really kind of traumatic and disturbing. Yeah. And then, I mean, we talked about it already a little bit, but just that this is that rare, scary horror movie that has a happy ending, except for Bugsy. He's the only one that really didn't get a happy ending. (laughs) Bugsy, man. Yeah. Bugsy. Poor Bugsy. Such a good dog. But it really did. Like, while I was watching it, I thought... Man, I already feel bad for these two people because they're in this shitty mm-hmm. situation. And then to have them being subjected to this demon is kind of a downer. And there's a lot of things to appreciate yeah. appreciate about this movie that we've already talked about, the style of it and everything. But, man, what a bummer. And then it was just the nice ending where she was able to overcome and confront and manage and everything and then love her child that then really did make me retroactively appreciate the movie even more. I mean, I was already going to like it okay, mm-hmm. but it made me just feel better about it. And it's nice because like the typical horror trope would be at least we think it's dead, it's gone, we've defeated it entirely. Haha, you know it will never bother us again. But I like the idea that grief is something that yeah, like you said, you can't always get completely. You'll never, in fact, not that you can't, you'll never completely get rid of it. Um, you do just have to learn a different way to relate to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just really nice. And actually hearing you read the book and what you were saying about it is instructive. You know, mm-hmm. it's the Babadook is actually trying to give them some advice. Like, look, you don't want me around. Yeah. Here's how to get rid of me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was out at Burning Man one time and uh, I met this woman 
girl. We were young, but she just seemed really wise. And somehow we got into this conversation of something that I was having trouble with at the time. And mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something that I had been having trouble with for a long time. And she said something like, sometimes when you look a dragon right in the face, it's not so scary. And that was... Mm-hmm. Di- it just really shifted my whole reality and it kind of feels like that this movie kind of feels like that i'd love it i mean there's a whole like branch of therapy called um acceptance and commitment therapy that i just love and part of it is um it sounds really weird but like learning to like part one of the exercises they make you do is like keep saying a word or keep saying a worry like over and over and over until you start to think it just sounds like nonsense and it's this <laughs> idea of being able to like yeah literally like babadook, babadook, babadook. <laughs> i mean if i'd find this film scary that would be my next therapy session would be sitting <laughs> just saying babadook <laughs> repeatedly <laughs> but it's an interesting way of looking at it because it's you know can you if you can get some distance from it or if you tell yourself this is just something my mind is telling me. Um, it helps you sort of distance from that a little bit. And it is about facing fears head on and being like, exactly with the Babadook. Um, yeah, just looking at that dragon and saying, actually, you know, we'll live. Yeah. It'll be hard, but I we can, can do it. Um, yeah, we can deal. All right, what's your number two? Uh, my number two, let's have a look. Um the supporting characters were interesting. Um, I did feel like there was just such a disconnect between the people around them and, and them. And I liked the way that that was done through... We have quite minimal interactions with other people. And when we do, they're quite stilted. They're quite um, almost like caricatures. Like the two social workers look like... I don't know, they look like cartoons. They just don't look like they're real people. Um, the two main the three main ones I guess are the neighbour next door who actually turns out to be a kind of force of love and support for them who I think is actually really important in in kind of bringing them out of it which is really nice because I really thought oh that old lady is like so dead she's dead yeah I really do think when she said I love you guys even though it didn't fully turn the mom around I think it helped Absolutely. I completely agree with that. But I, I just written her off by like scene two. I was like, well, she's clearly going to get killed next scene. She's um, as dead as Bugsy. Yeah. <laughs> R.I.P. Bugsy. <laughs> you rest in peace, man. Um, I The sister I did not care for. I thought she was mean, but I also agree with what you say. And again, we're seeing it from Amelia's perspective. So maybe the sister isn't as bad as she's being perceived to be. Um, her child was certainly a delight. Um, I I'm not going to say I wasn't sorry when she fell out of the treehouse, but I may have laughed. Um, And the other character who I thought was interesting and kind of highlighted Amelia's loneliness was Robbie, the guy from her work, who obviously cares for her and wants to try and and break through. And it just goes so badly wrong when he turns up. And I just really felt for her in that moment. I mean, we don't see him again, so he could have been like, oh, fuck this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he goes next Hopefully door and not. hangs out with the old lady instead. Yeah, like, nah, what's your she's name? Better. She's got less baggage. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> That's no Babadook here. So those were interesting. I thought the, the use of um, supporting characters was really interesting. And the guy uh, that whose car she runs into, or she does run into a car, but then when she yeah. checks her car, it's not scratched, so... Just no, that I think kind there was of, a dent in it, wasn't there? I hope so. I was I like, is so, this yeah. like a... Um, so yeah, the, the kind of surreal supporting characters I enjoyed a lot. Yep. Yeah, it was a small movie, but 
they made good use of mm-hmm. all the characters. Definitely. Mine is the artistry, which you kind of talked about. I, I felt like it was really art- artistically confident, and I, I love that. You know, like I said, I like movies that have style and also substance. Mm-hmm. The editing with quick cuts sometimes, and mm-hmm. other times lots of space for things. Like, But quick cuts like her alarm going off, and then all of a sudden there's a saw going through wood because the little kid's making his contraption, and then back mm-hmm. reminded me of Evil Dead a little bit. Yeah. And, interesting camera angles like focusing on just one spinning tire as her car goes down the road or when the boy hangs a key we see the key hook shot from above just every frame you could feel was thought through Mm -hmm. and i don't know man there's just something really satisfying about that kind of confidence in how the filmmaker frames things if they do it well for me it's it's the confidence, isn't it? It gives a clearer, kind of more meaningful film at the end yeah. of it because they're so focused on what they want to do. It's like those, uh, uh, shoot, what's uh, like uh, uh, Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson, those movies. Yes. So meticulous. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it didn't have any music, did it? Or not much anyway. Not much. It had a good kind of, I don't know if you would call it a soundscape, but it was kind mm. of, there were some freaky noises. And did you read about the video game noises? Oh yeah, that the Babadook uh-huh. came from, I think it, we have that in the news, like in detail. So awesome. Okay. we'll read about that in the news. Um, no and then the end credits had a really great music, perfect music behind it, kind of eerie and just fit the movie really well. Mm. And, and then, um, you know, the whole movie is definitely its own unique thing, but it also reminded me of a lot of other things at times, evil dead vibes, uh, and then mommy dearest. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the shining, I definitely thought of. So anyway, I really liked what you were saying about the editing. I thought they got a really good sense of like sleeplessness and that kind of being not quite awake. That was cool. And that really adds to the atmosphere because I don't know about anyone else, but if I don't sleep properly, like I'm seeing Babadooks, like it's <laughs> it's not a yeah. good place. But they really captured that for both Amelia and Sam. This kind of confusion and time is sort of zip zapping all over the place and not being quite awake, not being quite asleep. It, it was cool. I loved the effects that they used to get that. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you'd see her under the cover and then just drifting off and then zip all of a sudden it's daytime and you've mm-hmm. all, we've all felt that like, it's daytime already? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was amazing. Really, really cool. Number one. Uh, number one, um, it was going to be R.I.P. Bugsy, but we've covered that. I'm really, I'm just really sad that there had to be a casualty, but I guess it's yeah. probably like, you know, it was the dog, whatever. Well, it seemed like a noble little dog. I mean, he was He lived cute, a good life. <laughs> and he, he knew that there was something off with her and he wasn't shy about saying it. So he's yep. straightforward. And the poor little guy was the casualty. And, you know, it's a horror movie and he was the only Someone one had that to died. go. Yeah, someone had to die, but I know Rima <laughs> Joe is sitting there saying, well, it shouldn't have been him, and I hate this movie. <laughs> I can't. I was like, oh, no, something's going to die. Um, <laughs> so instead of talking about Bugsy, who I think we've given a good tribute to, yeah. um, I was thinking about the fact it was a female director because I I wouldn't necessarily have thought that looking at it. I, I don't tend to think about what gender the director is when I'm watching a film, but it was interesting to me thinking about it that it was a female director so i was thinking about ways that that maybe influenced what we were watching 
Um, and I think in a lot of ways it is a film about motherhood um, and about kind of the dark side of it and the, the harder part of it for Amelia and for her trauma and the kind of way that her identity has been kind of subsumed by this trauma and by being a mother and by being a widow and she doesn't really get to be herself at any point or sort of think about her needs in the first instance. They kind of deal with that a little bit with the sort of um, scene with the vibrator, this idea of her desire and her being a person out with of these other roles that she has. Um, and I think the character of the neighbour, the old lady, is kind of important in that because she sort of shows this kind of sisterhood and support to her that kind of pulls her out of it a little bit. But I don't think it's... I think... It's not a film I would watch and be like, this is a feminist masterwork. I think it's just, it deals well with one woman's experience of of trauma and of parenthood. But it was interesting to me because it's clearly a a project that was really a vision for Jennifer Kent. Um, I sent to you earlier, I don't know if we can put it in the show notes, but she actually made a short film a couple of years before The Babadook that's basically like a a mini Babadook, like a trailer for it. So it's a story that has this kind of meaning for her and something that she really wanted to tell. And yeah, I just, I really appreciated the direction of this film. And I thought, I was just kind of toying with the idea of what does it mean that this was directed by a woman? Are there things here that are specifically kind of coded as female? Or are there things here that we wouldn't have got if it had been like a male protagonist or a male director? I think I came to the conclusion, no, but it was interesting to think about how that might have played with the idea of, of Amelia as a person and her being a mother and her being frustrated in that role because of all the trauma she's had. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was kind of just some thoughts I had about that. I I mean, I'm a man, so I don't, you know, I don't know. But I it did, it felt to me like this is from a woman who knows what it's like to be a mother who's overwhelmed. And I don't even know if Jennifer yeah. Kent has a kid, so I don't know. <laughs> but that's what she it does. Like she doesn't me. have a kid, but she has a Babadook. So she knows what to, to take <laughs> right. care of a Babadook. <laughs> yeah. Do you know whether she has kids? Good question. I, um, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't definitely... matter. I mean, as an artist, you need to be able to imagine the lives of people who aren't like yourself. It is interesting though, isn't it? I think yeah. it's like with writing and with um, any kind of art. It's like, do you, how much of yourself are you putting into this? How much of how much of this is actually about what you've experienced? And mm-hmm. I can't find any information online about whether or not she does have children. But it wouldn't surprise me because I think there is a bit in this about um, the frustration of being a mother, like yeah. the depression that comes with it sometimes as well. So I don't know. I mean, I don't have kids, so I can't comment, but I wouldn't be surprised if that had fed into it a little bit. Yeah, I'm actually looking it up here. It says that she choked her son to death. So there you go. Oh, that <laughs> makes sense. So it's just fully autobiographical then. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sensitive people. Hey, 10 years. You should know by now. <laughs> 400 episodes 10 years right. you should know you should just know <laughs> just getting mad now you, you must be a new listener <laughs> okay my number one is the funny parts which there weren't a lot but there were some like um mm-hmm. when she tried to take away his backpack slingshot contraption and he said do you want to die <laughs> does nico ever try that with you when you try and take his toys away do you want to die he's never thought about it and we weren't really that eager to let him watch this movie so he didn't get the idea um and just using all his weapons on her and tripping her down into the cellar and i could not help but think of kevin McAllister from home alone 
Peter said the same thing. He's like, someone's <laughs> getting home alone. And I was like, yep, accurate. <laughs> and I thought it was so funny when she sent Samuel, I think, off to his sister, her sisters for the day and said, no, nothing about the Baba Duke. All right. Don't mention any of that. And then when she picks him up, he's her sister's <laughs> like, he's been talking about the Baba Duke all day. It's freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's like, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, I, I couldn't help it. It's on my mind. And then when the child services people came over and um they're like, Hi Samuel, how are you? And he goes, I'm a bit tired from the drugs mom gave me. <laughs> I love it because that's the kind of stuff that kids do come at you. Yeah. Just like, no, no, not like not not what he means. Not like, he means something different. And they're like, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think there are a few other ones, but yeah, there were some cute, funny things in it, which yeah. I, I think is good to put in there. <laughs> they got an amazing performance out of um, Noah Wiseman, the child mm-hmm. actor. He was great. I was reading a little bit about that. It was nothing surprising, but very similar to what they did on The Shining with the kid that played Danny in terms of like what he was aware of and what he wasn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, props to Jennifer Kent for making such a good job of that. Yes. I think they just told him, they said find me the most annoying kid and they said just be yourself no i'm just kidding yeah. <laughs> no, he he was great i i was i'm cute. just totally kidding I, I love that kid okay let's get into notes uh notes i don't have that many actually i i was so intrigued when we started saying that we were going to do the babadook and i mentioned this on a listener call in when someone said to me ah famous lgbt icon the babadook and i was like what so i kind yeah, of did a right. did a deep dive into like why the babadook is an icon and i think I've got it figured out. Um, apparently, when it first got put on Netflix, they categorized it wrong. So it came up as an LGBT film when it should have been coming up as just a horror <laughs> film. But it has basically given birth to like the most amazing memes. In fact, I'm just about to email you some of the fan art that I found for the Babadook as an LGBT icon. <laughs> so now people like go to pride marches dressed as the Babadook. Like, people have really embraced it. People are like, we all know what it's like to be hiding in the basement of an Australian city. you know. And I'm like... um but i I thought that was quite cute that people have kind of taken him on as this sort of icon for something that he just probably wasn't intended for um basically the rest of my notes are all kind of cool trivia that you would find online and i'm pretty sure we might cover in the news but yeah do read up on it it's it's really interesting and it's worth reading the script as well which you can get at a website called script slug like the bug a slug um it was interesting to read some of the stage directions and some of the ideas of what's going on behind the scenes so yeah if you're if you're into reading about the babadook i would recommend that sweet couple just two things for me because we've covered everything else i have to admit at the end because i've seen horror movies before where you think everything's fine and then there's something crappy Mm -hmm. at the end (laughs) when he was doing that magic trick i thought it was going to go bad somehow Mm-hmm. Like he was I don't kill blame her you. or something. I don't know. <laughs> is it? I mean, I, watching it, I was like, "Is this kid actually really good at magic?" Because I don't know how that bird got there. I know that too. <laughs> like that was, I, I would have screamed and ran down the road if I was her. <laughs> it was quite clever as well. He he hides the pill from her at one point in a yeah. kind of magician move, which is really right. awesome. Yeah, that was a really interesting scene, and he's got this look on his face like, I don't like you, and then she's checking in his mouth, and that was and great. He knows he knows he needs to be awake in order to protect Deal. her, which is, yeah, yeah. interesting. 
Um, and then I just want to mention that because of the subject matter of this film and that it's, you know, it's about dealing with your grief and everything and that it's a tough time right now for a lot of people, I mm. would say if you're grieving or if you're depressed or if you're overwhelmed, that I hope you look for help because sometimes you need help and whether that's through friends or family or professional. And if you're in really bad shape right now, uh, call uh, the national, this is a little intense, but the national suicide prevention hotline mm -hmm. is 1-800-273-8255 or 1-800-273-TALK. And mm -hmm. I would hate to think that any of our listeners out there are in need of some, you know, help or care and they're not seeking it. So there's one resource for you. Exactly, because you matter. Even if you don't feel like you matter right now, you do, and you deserve to feel better. Yep. So look out for it. All right, speaking of some people who matter, let's get into our listener responses. Want to go first? Yay! Yes. Do, do, do. The Babadook says no. <laughs> very, very good film, Babadook Dook. <laughs> Bugsy says, did not enjoy. Um <laughs> On the other hand, Kathy Beerswilt says, very disturbing, not necessarily scary, just really creepy. AJ Beattie says, amazing movie. The story was great and it's very spooky. I love the monster as well. Tammy Barr says, it was a good movie. I randomly yell out, Baba Dog, when I'm at <laughs> home to scare slash laugh with my husband. That's awesome. <laughs> William Sharnagel says, all I saw when the Babadook came at someone was jazz hands. 100% not scary. More scared when Gargamel almost had Smurfs for dinner. I'm sensing some Gargamel trauma there, William. Um, it's good to talk. Uh, Jennifer Thorne says, it's like sun chips. You either like it or you hate it. I happen to find it creepy, disturbing, and very enjoyable to watch. Can't wait to hear what you think. I think I'm hungry for sun chips. Yeah, Patrick M. Firmoil says, I love horror movies, but this was dumb. Cara Brandt says, I loved it. So spooky. Alex Vieira says, very, very odd movie. Very, very annoyed by her child throughout the entire thing. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Love it. Grippy Bob Dobolino says, I thought if that was me, I would have snuffed that kid out very early on. <laughs> Just for a single moment of peace. Looking bad, it's a bad example. Looking back, it's a bad example of self-isolating. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Cara <laughs> Brandt says, I thought it was really creepy and scary. I liked it. Nina Abbott says was pleasantly surprised by how much it scared me. See the variance there? Some so scared, interesting some making a point of how scary it was and making a point of how not scary it was. Ah. Daphne Backman says super creepy. I loved it though. I think the acting was incredible. I went into it thinking it would be different, me too. But the message was really solid. I think I expected it was going to be like other single parent based horror stories, but this one I think touched on the grief and the way people are more susceptible to outside influence when they're vulnerable and exhausted. Good point. Mm -hmm. The Babadook creature actually frightened me, and that is hard to do. <gasps> Daphne. Daphne's awesome. She's great. All right. We're an hour in. We have more to go, but we'll take a little break. Stay with us.
obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens. The people he kills get up and kill. Are they slow moving, Chief? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. This is a Walking Deadcast news update. Okay, I'll do, I've got two long items. I'll do the Duke one first from ScreenRant.com, details behind the making of the Babadook. Uh, so as you kind of alluded to, six-year-old Noah Wiseman left the set during some really traumatizing scenes. Mm-hmm. In an interview with Film Journal, director Jennifer can explain that, quote, during the reverse shots where Amelia was abusing Sam verbally, we had Essie yell at an adult stand-in on his knees, who then became traumatized. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to destroy a childhood to make this film. That wouldn't be fair. She also had to tone down the overall plot of the movie when she explained it to Wiseman. I said, basically, Sam is trying to save his mother, and it's a film about the power of love. Oh, That's good. That's really nice. Because he did look pretty freaked out, so whatever they mm-hmm. told him worked, but apparently yeah. they tried not to scar him for life. That, I mean, that seems fair. <laughs> William Friedkin, who directed The Exorcist, mm-hmm. said that uh, he said, I've never been seen a more t- horrifying film than The Babadook. It will scare the hell out of you as it did me. That is, you know, that's so interesting because I think this has a lot in common with The Exorcist. But The Exorcist is actually a film I didn't find that scary. <laughs> like, interesting well that makes it, sense then yeah it's it's I, there something were bits about it I doesn't scary. scare you uh-huh but that's it, so interesting that the guy who made that mm. is like yeah this is terrifying mm. i mean the exorcist i i saw it for the first time only a few years ago we covered it on the walking dead cast but from what i remember yeah it has things like creeping into the reality of the movie mm-hmm. you know less and less subtly over time but subtle at first and I think with The Exorcist as well, by the time I watched it, it had such a big reputation that it was never going to be as scary as I thought it was going to mm. be. So I feel like my opinion of it was maybe a bit biased in that sense. I think I it, it impressed me because I just kept thinking, okay, it's going to be this girl on a bed with her head spinning around and puking pea soup, which you did get to, but there was so much more to the movie than that. Maybe, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just talking about... impressiveness of the movie in and of itself not really about Mm -hmm. how scary it was though it's an interesting one it's it must be that there must be some kind of theme or common thread between the two that i'm just Mm -hmm. not not getting uh next the babadook has its roots in real life childhood emotional fears jennifer kent said i have a friend who's a single mother whose son was traumatized by this monster figure that he thought he saw everywhere in the house so I thought, what if this thing was real on some level? So I made mm-hmm. made a monster about that idea, but I couldn't leave it alone. Oh, oh, so I made monster. That's the one you were talking about, right? The- yeah, it's a Um, It's available on Vimeo for free. She calls it the baby Babadook. But anyway, she says, but I couldn't leave it alone. I kept coming back to it and that led to the Babadook. The word Babadook has many hidden meanings in Hebrew, Babadook translates roughly to he is coming for sure. But that's an interesting coincidence, though, since this wasn't the reason why director Jennifer Kent named the monster Babadook. Her origin for the name partially came from the Serbian word Babaroga, which means boogeyman. However, in an interview with Complex, Kent said that she wanted the name to sound like a child had invented it, something whimsical and weird, 
quote, I wanted it to be like something a child can make up, like Jabberwocky or some other nonsensical name. I wanted to create a new myth that was just solely of this film and didn't exist anywhere else. It's also an anagram. What is it? A bad book. <laughs> That's good. I <laughs> yeah. like it. And she says, uh, or and they mention it's also a great log line if it's in a word or it's in a look. You mm. can't get rid of the Babadook. Uh, the sound that you mentioned, um, as part of the mix, the sound designer used a dragon call sound from Warcraft 2 Beyond the Dark Portal during scenes also. where we see the Babadook. In other scenes, they use sounds from the video, vi- other video games such as UFO, Enemy Unknown, Mortal Kombat 3, and Resident Evil. Wow. And then, yeah, they mentioned that it's an LGBTQ icon. Uh, it says, it all started with a mistake on Netflix. The streaming service <laughs> accidentally categorized the Babadook as an LGBTQ movie on their site. This temporary <laughs> gaffe led to a general whimsy in the LGBTQ community. What if they posited the Babadook actually was gay? This created an internet sensation and even motivated many individuals to dress up as the Baba Duke for pride parades. One fan even dressed up as the Baba Duke for the red carpet season finale of RuPaul's Drag Race. Some people jokingly claim that the Baba Duke's boyfriend is Pennywise from the clown. The clown Love from it. it. Amazing. They'd be a great couple. I think they'd get on. Well, I don't know. Pennywise is kind of mean. <laughs> yeah, maybe they understand each other and yeah, and perfect marriage. <laughs> uh, and then. Uh, insider.com says over the past week to move into some more walking dead related stuff the cast and crew of the walking dead have the whole walking dead universe have thrown their support behind the black lives matter movement with some joining protests across the nation on wednesday the comic book social account doubled down on support Uh, they said looks like we lost quite a few followers after posting about hashtag blm this is at the walking dead on twitter we hope those who left educate themselves on these vital racial issues and learn to stand alongside their black neighbors hashtag twd family pride itself on its diversity and if you want to leave over this then and there's a peace emoji the tweet was a response to post over the past few days where the skybound run account has openly supported black lives matter quote to our fans and friends when a part of the community is in danger we all are Let's stand together with a black community. Share with us organizations that deserve and need our attention. Share with us what you're reading, listening to, et cetera, to highlight diverse voices. Let's make sure that we do not become complicit in race, racial injustice, reads part of the message from Skybound. When challenged about why a comic company was posting about Black Lives Matter movement, the account pushed back, quote, because when a race of people has felt the knee of oppression on their necks for generations without systematic change, then it's incumbent on everyone, especially people with large platforms, to push back and stand up for what's right. That's awesome. That pretty cool. Yeah, Kirkman's always been one to speak out and, you know, to mm-hmm. include um, minority characters and, you know, LGBTQ characters in his mm-hmm. works and things like that. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the Walking Dead cast and others who work on the AMC show have been speaking out online and at protests. Uh, the message from hashtag TWD family has largely been in the, that if you're going to support a show with a diverse cast, you need to support the people who make it up. Fear, the Walking Dead star Coleman Domingo shared a personal essay with Deadline 
He says, it isn't easy to live in this brown body. I'm talking to all my friends and colleagues to say, yes, this is a problem and it's always been there. I've never had the privilege to think otherwise. This world has repeatedly shown me. You might think that when one is a public person that it cancels out the fear. My black friends know better. Everyone is overdue to stand up for what is right. Use your voices to say loudly that black lives matter. No one who loves me can sit this one out. The price will be heavy for our future if we do. To my casts, crews, producers, production companies, at all, you can't look away anymore. I won't let you. So he's wow. great. He's <laughs> awesome. He's a good writer, man. He's really good. Oh, yeah? I mean, actually, I don't know. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen anything he's written. I know he's done plays and things. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. That's awesome. I'm so glad he did that. So there's more. Kari Payton, who plays King Ezekiel, said he wants people to see him and realize he matters before they recognize him as that guy from that show. Quote, I feel so ineffective. I want to help you understand that hashtag Black Lives Matter does not mean that yours doesn't. I want to help you understand that we can hate the violence we see in the streets and still be upset about what it erupted from. I love that. I want to help you understand that after nearly 50 years of living, I would like to drive my fairly nice car in my own neighborhood without being accused of having stolen it. I want Mm -hmm. my life to matter before they realize, oh, you're that guy from that show. Some of you are going to take this the wrong way, but I'll keep trying. That's all any of us can do. Hashtag stay safe. Yeah. Angel Theory, who plays Kelly, has called for justice while discussing this discrimination she's seen on the streets while outside. Quote, my hometown being set on fire, trash, people being sent to jail, pepper sprayed and beaten up. My family's out there. I'm pissed, heartbroken and angry, but I will keep praying and fighting with love. If our lives mattered, we wouldn't have to keep reminding you. Uh, Broken Heart 100 tweeted Angel Theory. Norman Reedus was out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was out there uh, protesting in Los Angeles. Walking Dead showrunner Angela Kang has encouraged followers to vote and have your voice heard in the primaries. And we do too, man. If you're Mm -hmm. listening to my right now, that's my main message. I know it's harder now because of the virus. Um, Hopefully there'll be more mail-in voting that becomes available. But if if you are uh, not fearing for your safety or if you're you know you feel like you can vote and be safe please vote that's that's our message please do and john oliver did an excellent um part last weekend about postal voting and how to get registered and how to do it and how to do it safely it's really worth checking out if you get a chance that's awesome it's on youtube right uh yeah it should be yeah Mm -hmm. and uh let's see Thursday, AMC Networks turned its five cable channels, AMC, Sundance TV, IFC, WeTV, and BB America, dark for eight minutes and 46 seconds in observance of George Floyd's death. Floyd died, of course, May 25th after a Mm. Minneapolis police officer knelt on his neck for more than eight minutes. Uh, He was being Mm. taken into custody after allegedly trying to use a fake $20 bill. Insider was told by a source familiar with the situation that AMC Network CEO Josh Sapan sent a memo Wednesday asking the company's 1,000 U.S. employees to identify an organization helping to combat racial inequality and that each organization would receive a $1,000 donation. So that's great for AMC. That's wonderful. Well done, AMC. And I had posted on our Facebook site um, something that 
you know, I just wanted to say that I'm proud of the protesters around the country taking a stand for equality and justice. Those are ideals that I think are worth fighting for, to say the least, and that this needed to happen. And um, the violence and the looting and the vandalism are more complicated. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if I feel qualified to talk about that because it is a very complicated issue. But personally, I think one thing I know is that there needs to be a focus on addressing police brutality and racism And Mm -hmm. if we were able to successfully address that, it would just be so incredible for this country. And so uh, whatever you think about the vandalism part, please don't let that take away from that other, this other issue, right? Mm -hmm. It's a huge issue. It's a huge, huge issue. I don't feel qualified enough to, to speak to it, but it's just, it's a Black Lives Matter. They really do. They really do. And if your response to that is all lives matter, then... You're not listening. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it's, it's, um, it's true. All lives matter, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not, not what we're point. talking about here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to listen, moans, groans, and grunts. Uh, so the only thing we have today, this whole listen, moans, groans, and grunts section is going to be dedicated to our friends, Seth, Logan, and Ethan. I love and, them. And their dad, I think it's Teague, says, mm-hmm. here they are at the mid-season finale of season five. The cop they're referring to is Don from Grady oh, Memorial. <laughs> yeah, right. Don't bring <laughs> that up. <laughs> Seth wants me to be sure to say that he got special permission to swear word just for this recording. <laughs> oh, Seth. What legend. <laughs> so here we go. Hi, Jason, Dr. Lucy. I'm Seth. And I'm 11. Hi, I'm Ethan. I'm 13. We just watched the mid-season finale of season five. Uh, this is the episode where Beth gets shot in the head. Oh. Uh, I'm Logan and I'm 10. <laughs> um, I think um, I think the cop who shot um, Beth was neutral because I feel like she was sometimes good, but then sometimes bad. I think she's bad. Because she, she she did some pretty bad things and allowed the other cops to do some pretty bad things. I think she was good, except she just had a fat trigger finger when st- <laughs> when Beth s- stabbed her. Mm. I feel bad for Maggie because she went there to see her living sister oh. out and well, and then she saw her dead body. Oh, uh, this this entire season was. Very fascinating. A lot of <laughs> slaughter. Yeah, there was a lot of blood. and Um, well, <laughs> there was a lot. I don't even know how to describe this half season. This is crazy. I would like to say that my grandma thinks Michonne is a badass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's right. I, now, season five. They're halfway through. That's when they Terminus. first got to Alexandria, right? At, was it at the beginning of that or right? Yeah. Is it, they, yeah, so it starts, starts with Terminus. 
mid-season mm. finale is um this is is greedy and yeah. then they're in alexandria by the end of the season okay and then so the they're not the there season, yet at, at where they are right now see i don't even they're not there the yet first half of and then i remember it, the very first episode when carol and daryl first like reunited after terminus and oh, i remember so this <laughs> horrible slap town episode but i don't remember that much <laughs> <laughs> I really want to know what these uh, what these guys thought of uh, Terminus because that's one of my favorite episodes. But I think they summed it up nicely with a lot of slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, they've already submitted um, their comments for like the next season and a half, so we'll get to that I in the next this. couple of podcasts. But thanks as usual, for you guys, for sending that stuff in. These really are fun. like genuinely a real highlight of my like <laughs> lockdown life at the moment are these calls. So thank you so much, boys. It's yeah. really, really great. <laughs> yeah, and I hope that you um, are able to have normal lives and that you're not too scarred from watching this. Yes. In your, in your childhood. <laughs> no Babadooks. <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode 396. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you very much. If you want to give us a call, you can reach us at 650-485-DEAD. That's 650-485-3323. You can email us at brains at podcastica.com. You can find us on the web at facebook.com slash deadcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Yeah, I don't think I've said it on a podcast yet, but I'm pretty sure House Podcastica is next covering Cobra Kai, which I'm stoked Ooh. about because Karate Kid is one of my heart movies. <laughs> and That's amazing. This show got announced a couple of years ago and I thought, oh, well, they're getting um, Ralph Macchio back and everybody and... You know, I, it's probably going to suck. I mean, it's probably, it's really going to suck, but I'm going to watch it anyway because I'm a super fanboy. And then I watched it mm-hmm. and it was really good. And I was like, holy good. shit, they were able to make something good out of this. So um, yeah, it'll be super Oh, fun I'm good. so glad. Yeah, to cover that. So that's going to be me and Rima and Richard on that show. So look for that. That will be amazing. I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. And then just a reminder to send in voice messages if you want to help us celebrate our 10th anniversary. Um, I think most people know, but if you didn't know, you can use the voice memos app or, or whatever the equivalent is on Android on your phone to record yourself and then just hit the share button and you can email it to us at uh, brains at podcastica.com. We'd love to hear from you guys like we did back in our hundredth episode. We got a bunch of messages and that was really fun to play them back. So hopefully Yay. we can get something like that going again. And then oh, that'd next, be brilliant. next episode of this podcast in two weeks will be something that we haven't decided yet. Something. <laughs> you heard it here first. It will be something. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Don't, Don't get, get bit, bit AJBT. Baba Duke. Baba Duke. <laughs> <laughs> It's alright! It's alright!